Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. Uh, this is another one of our last call episodes. Now, if you've never listened to a last call, uh, last call is when the three of us get together to review a film or talk about something that we didn't have time to talk about on the main show. And this week, that is a film that we were really excited to talk about, but just couldn't fit it into the main show because of scheduling problems. And that's bad times at the El Royale. But first, of course, I'm your host as always, John Agroni from the internet, California. And with me, I have our resident film critic, Will Ashton. Hello. And across from me, our sound producer and sound master, Maverick Hines. Hey. Uh, we're just talking about one film this week, Gentlemen, and uh, afterward, hopefully we can do a spoiler section. It feels kind of like we can just sort of do that because uh, we don't have to worry about mini reviews or any other extra content. So let's dive right into it. We're talking about Bad Times at the El Royale, which is from writer and director Drew Goddard, uh, probably best known for Cabin in the Woods. Uh, he also worked on the Daredevil show. And uh, you remind me, Will Ash, what are some things people people might know oh, Drew Goddard best for? Didn't he get an Oscar nom for writing The Martian? Yeah, I think he might have. Um, that's, of course, the Ridley Scott-directed film. Yeah, he almost directed that film. But I think he dropped out to do Daredevil, which he also dropped out of. Uh, right. like halfway through the first season or something like that so well Ash, uh, did you not appreciate my uh my talking about your daredevil uh dislike of that show on this uh, i'm not really a lot. fan but yeah i realized after i posted that, that was kind of a jerk thing to do so i apologize no no I, I, well ashton we we like it when you bring on the hot takes and uh, hot especially takes, when they yeah. involve daredevil yeah yeah season three's watched... coming out soon uh, okay yeah, we can't wait to watch it with you, Will. Yeah. Episode by episode. Yeah, I can't recaps. wait to not watch it. <laughs> Actually, I think the main reason I started to watch it because I wanted to get to the Daredevil, or sorry, the uh, Punisher stuff. Mm. And I just got so bored with the show that I didn't finish it. Well, so. you ended up watching Dare, uh, Punisher anyway, didn't you? I never got to it, no. See, I'm I think behind. you can just watch Punisher without watching the Daredevil content. Oh, really? Oh, good. I think so. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is self-contained. and. You know, you, you don't get all of the backstory, but they do a good job of showing not telling some of the exposition in that first season of Punisher. I don't know if it would be successful. Can I just start season two without finishing season one to watch the Punisher stuff and then mm. quit when he's done being in the show? I mean, you can you do could anything absolutely you want, do that, actually. <laughs> but should you is the question. Well, if you don't like the show, you don't like the show. But anyway, we're here to talk about Bad Times at the El Royale, which does sort of feel like the movie that Drew Goddard was able to make because he's had so much screenwriting success uh, with a lot of cult films. Uh, Cabin in the Woods as a twisty Turner, you know, this place isn't what it seems kind of movie. And it, over the years, has built a huge fan base. I'm definitely included in, in the film's uh, really big fans. That, that is, if you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods, that is just a wonderful time. Grab some friends. Don't let the movie, don't get spoiled by it, and uh, definitely check it out. And even if you do know the twist, it's still a, a fun ride. Uh, but this new film, Bad Times at the El Royale, is uh, a little different, uh, except with the part where it is sort of a location kind of movie where things aren't all what they seem. Uh, the film stars Jeff Bridges, Cynthia Erivo, Dakota Johnson, John Hamm, Kylie Spenny, Louis Pullman, Nick Offerman, and Chris Hemsworth. And this is this is one film that I know we've been all anticipating quite a bit. I believe this was on one of your most anticipated of the fall, Maverick. Yeah, it was. It was on my list. Do you want to go first? Uh, no, I went first for the main on? review. Let's let Will go first. Okay, put him on the spot. Will That's Ashton, right. please do the honors. Yeah, so, I mean, even though we were dismissing Drew Goddard earlier, I actually am quite a big fan of his stuff. I mean, obviously, I think... To be clear, you were dismissing Drew uh, Goddard earlier. 
I, I, yeah, I apologize. I, um, I don't know. It was just me. You're a big business. fan of the show. Maverick's a big fan of shows. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I would say probably his finest hour uh, is the, the Cabin in the Woods, as we mentioned earlier, because I think that is just a fine example of like a really good surprise film. Because that was a film like I remember when it was coming out. Like I think it was delayed for like two or three years, and it was like just one of those movies that was like on the calendar for a while, and you can kind of tell because chris hemsworth's in it and he looks really young in it because <laughs> they shot before he was um thor mm-hmm. so you can just kind of tell that like it was shot a while ago i think it was like 2009 and then they, it came out 2012 and so i just remember i mean the only thing that was really like getting people interested in was that it was co-written by josh whedon i think he produced as well uh and so like it was just one of those movies that like no one really knew anything about going in because there was a big um mystery around it and then when you saw it, it was like oh this is a really clever deconstruction of the horror genre and it just it, it just finally earned its fan base because i think there's so much that movie to appreciate including one scene that i think might be like the most fun i've had in the movie theaters ever i <laughs> uh, i mean if you know what it is i i cannot give it away because i think it would be a true tragedy to know what that is beforehand yeah, but absolutely uh yeah uh yeah as it stands but i so i had a lot more expectations going to bad times at the el royale than i did for cabin in the woods and i'm wondering if that kind of bit me in the end because um this movie i guess i was kind of expecting to be as twisty and genre bending as cabin in the woods and i think in a way that's intentional like i think the way that drew goddard structures the film it's kind of the comparisons to cabin in the woods seem kind of apparent uh, i don't know if we're going to do a spoiler section so i can say what exactly i'm referring to but mm-hmm. in a way, i actually haven't seen the cabin in the woods yet no no i was talking about um with this for bad times oh okay i was like no not to give anything away (laughs) (laughs) definitely no i mean i wasn't i wasn't gonna give anything for uh cabin the woods away but i was gonna um, just talk about yeah so um anyway yeah so there's there's a point where the movie kind of implies that it's going in a similar direction as cabin the woods and then it's like no 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 it's actually going to be more of like a riff on tarantino films even the title seems to suggest as much with el royale being a big thing for pulp fiction mm-hmm. and pulp fiction and the bad Wade times or... at the el royale with cheese yeah there you go and uh i, I mean that's the way the movie is constructed even the um what do you call it uh what's the term i'm blanking on what it's supposed to be um, flashbacks or the chapter no McGuff- the... i meant mcguffin the MacGuffin uh, of the film. Yeah, where it doesn't it's really actually, matter what the MacGuffin is, but... Well, every, no, yeah. yeah, but, like, the way that they frame it and stuff, like, it's yeah. pretty similar to the, the briefcase in uh, Pulp Fiction. And so, I mean, combined with that, like, Reservoir Dogs and The Hateful Eight, there's a lot of comparisons you can make to this film and Tarantino films. And it kind of reminded me of, like, when the 90s, when there was, like, a lot of knockoffs of Tarantino. I think it's a little better than those, but it kind of reminded me in some ways of, like, Seven Psychopaths, where it's, like, a good uh, way... Like, it's, like, a good imitation of his films but i think you could see more limitations in this film than you could in his first film and that's kind of typical of uh sophomore films as directors are concerned but there's a lot of this movie i liked and a lot that i kind of i found myself disappointed by particularly in how the film kind of indulges itself past the two and a half hour mark which is something i find myself i, I kind of appreciate that it is such a filmmaker driven film but at the same time I just kind of wish it was a little more clever than ultimately was, which is not something I expect to say going in, but it just kind of left, like, yeah, I was entertained for the most part. It does drag at times, but at the same time, I just kind of wish there was something a little more to it. And I'm curious to hear if you guys are feeling the same way. Yeah, it definitely is way more straightforward than I was expecting. Um, I don't know if I was expecting like big cabin in the woods twists 
I, w- I didn't really have an expectation going in of like, this is definitely going to be like crazy and groundbreaking, but for like a different genre. But I did sort of wonder, I was like, man, the mysteries here must be holy smokes. And ultimately, yeah, you're kind of right. They just sort of happen uh, matter of factly. And we'll get into it, though, because I think that I have some straying thoughts compared to you. Let's set up this film a little bit because I, 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 we haven't really explained, like, what is the story here? Yeah. Well, what can we give away exactly? That's well, yeah, I think we can give away the first part of it. Uh, not the cold open, though. Uh, it's set in the very late 60s, I believe 1969. And yeah. a group of strangers show up to this hotel that's kind of seen better days. It used to be hustling and bustling, the El Royale. And uh, it's kind of a gimmicky hotel in the sense that it is right on the state line between Nevada and California. So half of the hotel is in California. The rooms cost a different amount. And then the other half of the hotel is uh, Nevada. Yeah. And the hotel. Scene, and I love that set piece. I think that set piece it's, is fantastic. It's interesting. It's fun. Uh, it, it's it's a, a clever. There is some cleverness to that. And I agree with you, though, where the movie doesn't end up being quite as clever as I think it's setting itself up to be in the first 20, 30 minutes. But uh, I, I think the way the, the characters sort of collide, introduce each, themselves to each other, interact, and then eventually they go to their rooms early on is. A, a, yeah, that's where you get a lot of the hateful eight. That's where you get a lot of. Okay, clearly there's a lot going on here, and I can't wait to see uh, how all of these different yeah. stories unfold. And that's certainly kind of a giveaway, huh? Yeah, I guess um, four rooms is another one. I guess you can. I don't know if that's completely Tarantino, but that's kind of some ideas since they're both like hotels and same yeah. way. Obviously, Goddard's being really overt with this movie here. The char- you know, the characters are showing up with their baggage. You know, all of the uh-huh. symbolism is pretty easy to see, and but it basically works. Uh, Maverick Hines, uh, what what did you think of the movie overall? Uh, how do you agree with a lot of Will saying? Yeah, I do, and I think before I say anything, I have to make sure I state that I, I did like this movie. Like, I I think I had a good time watching it, and um. I don't think it was bad. I, I feel like I, everything I like usually end up reviewing sounds more negative than I want it to. So I'm just like, yes, I did like this. Now let me say things I didn't like. Yeah, should we answer this right now? Did we all have a good time at the bad times? Yes, yeah. at El Real. I did. I had a good time. Yeah, I, I thought. Good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and, you know, and as you guys know, The Hateful Eight is probably one of my favorite movies I've seen in a very long time. Like, I think it's on my all-time list. Cheers it, to that. You know, it's it's up there. I really really enjoyed that movie. So obviously, it was you know. Say I was, something for it to wit. <laughs> I was, I was going to, uh, you know, draw a lot of comparisons. Right, I knew that from the trailer, um, and I will say that though I like this movie and I could appreciate, you know, kind of the homage paid to to Hateful Eight. I felt like this one suffered a little bit from the fact that it was trying so hard to be like it. Um, and one of my big things was what makes the Hateful Eight so great. And I won't spoil too much because of our other conversation we're going to have is that the Hateful Eight's kind of like. I feel like all the characters have a similar story. They're connected a lot more. And I think this movie suffers from the fact that the people here aren't as connected. They don't know each a lot other of as much. coincidence going on. Yeah. Here, and sure. it's just a little too much for me to be like, that makes sense. You know what I mean? And a lot of the tension that arises and stuff like that, because of the interactions that they have throughout this journey, were harder for me to be sold on due to the fact that they really didn't know each other before coming into this hotel. Um, and I, I hope I'm not giving away too much too soon there, but that was just the big thing that stuck out to me a lot was that it just didn't, I just wasn't sold as often. And I'll, I'll go over some more of that stuff in, in trailers with um, Chris Hemsworth character, because I think that's where one of my biggest complaints comes from. Um, Chris Hemsworth is not good in this film. I, yeah. oh, I, I feel disagree. pretty confident saying that I think he was uh, horribly I, miscast. Really? I 
I widely disagree. Oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think Sorry, he, I think thought. he did well with his character. I just didn't like the, like, I don't think the character. I have no disrespect for Chris whatsoever. Yeah, was necessary or really made sense for that portion of the film. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming that'll be a big conversation yeah. for us in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> but long story short, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought that uh, for the most part, people did really well with their performances. Everyone seemed to do pretty decently I, I didn't like no one was unbelievable for me in that regards apparently you feel very <laughs> differently about Hemsworth but um, and I love Jeff Bridges I thought he did really well as well yeah I, uh, I'll say real quick it is kind of interesting the Tarantino comparisons are just really in your face with this this mm-hmm. film it they're really hard to deny the way that yeah it's not just the location of it like well you really covered it uh the hateful eight you know all you know we're all in the same place kind of thing the flashbacks of pulp fiction you know obviously the briefcase and it, it if there's one thing this movie does uh it, it kind of shines a light on how good tarantino is uh with most of his films i would say because this one i think suffers from the fact that it doesn't have the just endlessly riveting dialogue that Tarantino inserts into these kinds of films. Yeah. And it's a shame because Goddard, I mean, he's working with, uh, I, I forget his cinematographer. I think it's Seamus McGarvey, but my goodness, this, this movie is beautiful. It's more beautiful than a couple of Tarantino films. Uh, I would say that it, you know, this, it has the right look. It has the right vibe. Yeah. I'd say most of the actors here yeah. are great. I'd say that a lot of the dialogue and scenes between Jeff Bridges and um, Cynthia Erivo are just spot on. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the screenplay isn't quite there. But sorry, you were going to say, well. Oh, no, I was just going to add to your point about cinematography. It's also shot quite beautifully on 35 millimeter film. And if right. you get a chance to see it projected on film or, in, or at least in theaters, I think it's well worth seeing despite our criticisms. We saw it in the standard. And I wish I, I wish we could have seen this in Dolby. Um, at least I saw it in standard. I don't know. If yeah, saw I, I saw it in standard as well. Yeah, I think that uh, some of the contrasting shots with the neon with uh, there's a thunderstorm. You really just there's texture to this film. It's it's gorgeous to look at. I mean, that's that's one thing it's got going for it. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, definitely, I, I don't have the same complaint that it, it drags or it feels too long or anything like that. I was good with the length. I was overall on balance okay with the third act we'll talk about it i think the chris hemsworth character it it, again it's very interesting because tarantino's right now is working on a film about charles manson and hemsworth very overtly is kind of like working off of like a kind of a kind of the manson thing Mm -hmm. and so it is kind of interesting that uh you know tarantino and goddard are apparently like you know roommates and kind of swapping notes or something um, that's probably giving way too much credit to Goddard. I don't know. But all that said, I, I, I do enjoy some of the little messages that this movie has to say. They're not groundbreaking. They're not fascinating. But there are some overtones here. And I don't want to call them undertones of, you know, that this is a movie with some kind of message uh, that I did that did affect me in a little bit of a way. So overall, I was a net positive on this. I just kind of have to knock it down a bit for being kind of derivative. And I really resonate with Will's criticism that it's just not as clever as it's presenting itself to be. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of moments that were, were just sort of strangely straightforward when they could have been a bit more surprising and a bit more unconventional. And uh, yeah, I, I think I would have, I think it would have benefited from a little bit more weird, this whole subplot, you know, that's in the trailers where the, the characters are, you know, walking through i don't know if it's a one tracking shot but it's a good tracking shot that probably has a few different cuts where you know they're observing the rooms kind of secretly and you know on paper this really works it's creepy it's surreal the music is blaring 
but overall you don't take anything away from it and mm-hmm. it is sort of something that's mystified with like the pulp fiction veneer in a way that i don't think kind of works in this case for some reason and it might take maybe maybe one day somebody's gonna read something into this film you know maybe drew goddard's going to to what you're saying maverick on sunday about you know maybe he's going to say in some interview well this was the secret this is why this 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 and this happened and maybe it'll all crystallize someday but i think on first viewing uh this i can see why some people kind of hate this film and or lots of people are are just okay with it, had a good time, but aren't necessarily rushing out to recommend it um, and boost it on word of mouth. So I will say that one more thing I wanted to add that I forgot to, I, I agree with Will on the um, the length. It felt a little long for me. I think I forgot to bring that up, but also, and I'll try to say this without giving too much away now before we get into spoilers, but you know, there's a, um, one of the characters, is it Darlene Sweet? Is that her yeah. character's name um what's the actress's name cynthia Erivo. Cynthia Erivo. she's a fantastic singer and that's kind of a you know a point in this movie is about her singing but i felt like so many times that her singing was lingered on for like a really really long time and i know that it served some purposes for those scenes but even still when it was necessary it was so long that we were listening to those moments that like i was very much over it by like the third time it had happened like i just couldn't handle hearing her sing and again it's not about her voice or her talent it was just the setting of in which they were going i i was going crazy listening to it i i think it would have been i think it was really effective in the second scene i can't give in too much uh, specifics but there's like a very tense moment involving her singing that yeah. i thought the way yeah. it's drawn out is actually really effective and i think that might be as far as the directing is concerned the best made scene in the film i thought the way it was edited the way it was shot the mm-hmm. way it was directed i thought that scene was fantastic and i think uh, that scene would have carried more weight for me i don't mean to cut you off well, i apologize no i know I I, that's basically what i was gonna say okay yeah I, and, and i i think that scene would have carried more weight for me and been better if we hadn't already had like a five minute scene of just her singing like 20 minutes before that. And if it didn't happen again, like 30 minutes later, you know what I mean? Again, though, the song is you can't hurry love. And it's just so in your face. I honestly think the best scene in this film is closer to the midway point. There's a scene uh, between her and Jeff Bridges where they're starting to get to know each other. It is a very methodical scene. And it ends with a wonderful moment that took my theater's breath away. And that was when I was with the the film the most. But unfortunately, I do think it's kind of the highest moment. And then from there, it all just sort of, it doesn't dive. It doesn't, there's not a downturn. It just sort of, you know, it it just sort of flattens Mm -hmm. from then on out, which was a little bit disappointing. But I do really want to pick that scene out in particular as something kind of special in this film. I liked it a lot as well. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's like more that the film is like the sum of its parts, if I'm using that expression right. Like it's like all these like there are like a handful of really, really good scenes. I just don't think they really come together as much as they should have. Like in the way they connect with each other wasn't quite as effective as I think the movie could have been. Yeah. And that's a shame because I think like you said, like those moments are very good. And I think that scene you're talking about is probably the best written scene in the film. Certainly the way it's constructed from a narrative standpoint. But uh, yeah, I just it's. It's just those scenes that I think if there's more connective tissue that made them resonate as much as they do like in Heath Weight, then I think this could have been a really, really solid film on par with some of the Tarantino films we're talking about or even Cabin in the Woods. So that's kind of my disappointment, I think. Right, right, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I, I would I would probably isolate a few characters here. I think we can all agree Jeff Bridges and Cynthia Erivo, they're the ones that the movie probably cares the most about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does strike me in Hateful Eight. Uh, it's a little bit like how Walter Goggins and Samuel Jackson are end up sort of being the heart of the film. Yeah. And this one, we do have some outliers. We have Dakota Johnson sort of plays this uh, mysterious uh, kind of uh, aggressive hippie character who yeah. we don't know a lot about, think- who gets some interesting turns in the film. But ultimately... Uh, doesn't quite work for me in some of the same ways as Chris Hemsworth. You're going to say? Well, I think her character is the weakest link as far as the writing is concerned. I would say so too. There, yeah. There's a very strange limp agency to her. Um, and there's something interesting going on with a character who shows up um, sort of connected to her, played by Kylie Spaney. We remember her from Pacific Rim Uprising. And uh, there's some there's something to her character that again this is another on paper kind of moment. There's another character who plays the uh, kind of the battered uh, Lewis Pullman plays the, uh, the 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 only employee at this hotel who gets some interesting moments, but ultimately gets something that I don't know if you can call it a Deus Ex Machina, but it does feel like something that someone in uh, you know working on the screenplay or maybe editing it was like we need to fix this, mm. <laughs> and it feels inserted almost at the last. Yeah, moment, uh, which definitely. maybe we can get to that more in spoilers. Uh, but yeah, th- those are definitely some of the outliers. But, you know, Will, I guess we'll talk more about it in spoilers. But, uh, you know, but what about John Hamm as well? I mean, how do you where do you stand on all of the ensemble, I guess, as a whole? Uh, well, John Hamm. Um, so he does something at the beginning of this movie that was like, OK, that's kind of an odd choice. And then, like, they dropped that, and it's like, okay, I kind of figured that was the case, since it seemed kind of over the top. And then, um, I don't know, I, I I thought he was fine. Like, he, he wasn't bad, but I, I was, I guess, expecting more from him as an actor, just because I know he can do more, especially in the 50s, or sorry, 60s. Uh, I enjoy he, how much he was hamming it up, though, in those early scenes. How dare oh, you? you this, and your this episode's canceled. <laughs> Um, so let's see, uh, as far as the actors we haven't talked about yet, um, is there anyone else we haven't really talked about yet that we can't, uh, say, get, well, there's say Nick without Offerman. talking about spoilers? Nick Offerman gets a very... Can we talk about him? Uh, let's wait till spoilers. Yeah. Okay. Um, why not? <laughs> sure. Say, there's not much I don't to know who away, else but... we can really talk... I don't know who else we can really talk about that wouldn't be, like, diving into spoilers at this point, so... Sure. Let's wrap it up with our final thoughts then and develop the rest of this. I think people kind of get it. Uh, okay, I'll go first. Uh, bad times at the El Royale, ultimately, I think, is a decent time at the El Royale. I liked it more than I disliked it, and uh, it is one of those films I'll absolutely revisit again. Uh, and I think that it, it, it has the potential to be a very wonderful cult film. I think that it kind of suffers under the weight of expectations a bit. If this had come out maybe with a somewhat... Uh, less recognizable cast if this had been drew goddard's first film i think that we would sort of be saying hey you know this was pretty good like i wasn't sort of expecting it to be as good as it was Uh, unfortunately it has so much working against it uh, in terms of you know the tarantino influences being a little distracting uh, in terms of some of these actors, in my opinion, I, I think specifically with Hemsworth uh, being cast a- against type and to the film's detriment, unfortunately, I think it's I think it's a movie with a lot of style, with just enough substance to get by, but you really wish it was the whole package. I mean, it's it's the kind of film that's it's got to be either like 
A or B, basically. There aren't a lot of, there's not too much wiggle room in my opinion, at least for me. Uh, so I give it a solid B. Go check it out if you're interested by the trailer. You'll probably have a good time. Uh, what about you, Maverick? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I have much else to add. Like I said, I, I did have a good time with this and I, and I, you know, I enjoyed the movie, um, but it's definitely not, you know, on my top list for the year or anything like thinker. that. It's not, yeah, it's not much to it. And being, so, I, I think, you know, I, I'm probably a little bit more critical on the movie because of my expectations due to the fact of how much I love the hateful eight. So I have to try and be a little lenient with that because I was holding it to a pretty high standard in comparison, I think, but regardless of all that, I'm right in line with you, John. It's, it's a B for me as well. All right. Well, Ashton close us out. Yeah. I mean, like we were saying, I think expectations are kind of what kill it in some respects. Um, like you said, I mean, maybe, if, maybe if my, uh, expectations for the film were a little more moderate, then I would have had more positive things to say. But I think just knowing what your Goddard can do and having seen as many Tarantino films as we have, I think that's ultimately kind of a detriment to the film, knowing that it is fairly derivative, as you said, John, and ultimately not quite as clever or witty or smart as I think we would expect a film from these talented people to be. But I don't know. I've heard some people say that it's not that like, it's like a surface level film. And I don't really agree with that. I, I don't think it's that deep, but it is, it's fairly, like, it has some things to say, like you said, John, and I, I, I wouldn't dismiss it as such, but ultimately, I mean, if you're looking for something that's, like, fairly enjoyable, if a little overlong and a little self-indulgent, then I, I think you'll get a pretty good film out of this. I just kind of wish it was a little stronger. I was between a B and a B minus myself. I'm going to give it a high B minus just because maybe, I don't know, maybe if I see it again, I'll like it a little more knowing what to expect. But as it stands, I did find myself uh, a little disappointed at the end. And that's, uh, that's something I just wasn't expecting. So I think that dampened my enthusiasm for the film a little bit. All right. Well, that's a high B minus, which makes us about a B average, uh, which is good. Pretty good rating for uh, a, definitely a film of this uh, genre. Uh, they definitely can be uh, definitely much on the lower side. So, Let's get into spoilers, though. Let's, uh, if you have not watched Bad Times at the El Royale and you were planning on it and you don't want to hear any spoilers, please turn away now. Check out our main show and you can listen to our first man review if you haven't already, uh, along with some of our other reviews that we did, uh, Hold the Dark and all those other things. But for now, let's talk about this one. We didn't get into the specific length. My goodness, 141 minutes. Uh, and it's a low-budget film. It's not going to be a big failure. It's made about $11 million at the box office this past opening weekend which is about what's, half the budget what's low budget like what the budget is, is budget? uh reportedly 32 million so okay it's so probably heard... it's not going to be a hit but uh it's probably going to break even yeah that's more of a mid-budget film i guess but right. i heard the stars they think they took quite a few uh um cuts in their budgets uh, or cuts in their paychecks mm-hmm. to make sure that the film could be a reasonable budget so that makes sense. Right, right. And this doesn't seem like a film that's going to get uh, a ton of uh, a, a ton of space like overseas, unfortunately, for the studio. But uh, it, it is one of those things. I've, I've seen a lot of stories and they really resonate with me that, you know, we have this original film, Bad Times at the El Royale. We have uh, the original, you know, film. Um, well, what was the one that came out last week? See, I'm already forgetting it. Basically... If you look at some of like the original films that have been coming out lately, Venom is doing better than everything. Are you talking about Star is Born? Star is Born. No, that's a remake. So I'm, I'm thinking more... I was going to say, yeah. 
there, there, there have been a lot of original like films though that have come out this year that just don't do a lot of budget. And people always say like, oh, Hollywood never makes anything original anymore. And then you look at the box office for Venom, and it's like, yeah, of course. Because Venom, you know, these superhero movies, they can be terrible. They can get like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes and people still show up for them. Yeah, this movie, especially because it's a Fox film, it feels like it lasts its kind in some ways. And I hope it's not. But just to have a film like this, like an adult-oriented mm-hmm. um, mystery film that's, you know, like it's it's a filmmaker-driven film, shot on film, uh, kind of harkening back to an older type of film that came from like the 70s to 90s. It's, yeah, it's, it just feels like, it's kind of a shame that we're probably not going to get a lot of these films anymore just because not a lot of people show up and also because Disney bought Fox and they're looking at me not making that many adult films reportedly. So yeah, it's, it's, that's why I think I'm also a little disappointed that the film wasn't better. Cause like knowing this is a last hurrah in some extent, I really wanted this movie to be great. And the fact that it wasn't kind of bummed me out. We're really belaboring the spoiler stuff, but I do <laughs> hope that after acquiring Fox Disney sort of, creates a new studio like a rebranded fox that does focus on films like this like on things that are a bit of have more of an edge that are under the disney brand but aren't touchstone you know what i mean they're not buena vista they're actually like going to be there's going to be hopefully like a new thing with maybe a new direction for what fox was trying to do yeah i mean from what i've heard if they are going to do adult stuff they're just going to make it hulu exclusives so they wouldn't get they wouldn't get theatrical releases Ooh. Which is rough. Yeah, Mining the Gap, though, I mean, that's why has I'm done fairly successful be, as a Hulu yeah. exclusive. So I, I think, I, I, yeah, I know, Will, one of the hills you die on is the fact that films like Bad Times of the Oriel are becoming an, an ex- nearly extinct breed uh, in terms of coming out in theaters. And I agree with you 100%. It's very unfortunate. But uh, as far as the critics go, I mean, Bad Times is doing it has pretty decent numbers. It has about it has a seventy one percent on Rotten Tomatoes based on one hundred and sixty reviews. The average rating is pretty low, six point five out of ten, um, which is about right for that score. Um, so most critics are liking it. It's just it doesn't seem like a lot of critics are outright loving it. Well, let's dive into. I mean, I want to put out the big reason why the, the big thing that really holds me back from liking this film is I do think Chris Hemsworth is just it's just an atrocious performance and it's, it's so Mm. unfortunate because it's not the man's fault. It's just so impossible to buy this guy as a Charles Manson type. Uh, It's the eyes. It's those eyes. Like, how do you look into the eyes of Chris Hemsworth and believe that he, it's, it's not the early stuff, the early stuff where he's like sort of the leader of this cult, where he sort of has this affect, this sentimentality, that stuff works great. I really buy that version of it. But when he takes the turn as this, the film's villain, when he starts to antagonize the main characters, that's when it just falls apart. I was completely removed from the film because it is not a believable performance. It's it's just not a good one. I, I don't think Chris's range is there, and he has he has to do something very challenging here. And in my opinion, it, it's not up to snuff. But Will, I think you disagree. Yeah, wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, I, I, well, if we're going with the Manson thing, I mean, the main thing about Manson was, I mean, this is going to be a weird turn, but the weird thing about Manson is that like he was just very charismatic. Like The reason why people were so drawn to doing the terrible things they did with him was that they really believed in his things through that charisma. And I think that's what Chris Hemsworth achieves, that you have that charisma, you have that, like, I get that it's it's a movie, so it's like I get that he's gonna look like Chris Hemsworth. Like I I don't really get this 
criticism that you're saying where he's not believable. Like the movie isn't believable already. The early already. parts, the early parts where he is charismatic are believable enough. Um, and he, sure, the the film has an absurdity to it. I'm talking about the specific scenes where he is killing people, where he is starting to get a little shaken, where he's starting to become the villain. And I think that that is a very tricky balance to go from charismatic to menacing in a believable way where you believe it's the same character well, doing the same performance. I just don't think it's there. I mean, the whole thing with his character, now we're in spoilers, you can say this, it's about his fragile ego. They has to trout his masculinity in order to feel that he is important. And that's something that, uh, what's her name? The singer character, I, I apologize. I can't think of her name or character's Darlene name. Sweet, Darlene Sweet. Darlene Sweet. She sees right through him. She's the only character that can see, well. I love that I guess, moment where she says it to his face. It's a great right. piece of dialogue. And I think that's the thing. Is that like She's the only person who's ever really called him out on who he is. And like in that way, he feels like challenged and affected by that. But like I think to me that scene worked because it is a it's him testing his like macho masculinity. He wants to feel like validated, and he wants to feel like he is important and sexy and all these different things. And I think it really worked for Chris Hemsworth. I thought my main takeaway from that performance is that like he is ultimately I think a character actor who is cursed with a sexy leading man's body like he I think <laughs> and I don't say that wholeheartedly can we tweet that please <laughs> yeah no but I mean like when I see stuff like this or like Ghostbusters which I don't think Ghostbusters is a great film but I think he's pretty good in that or even the I last Thor movie with, or even the last Thor movie like where he's fairly funny and charismatic like it's apparent that like he is better when he kind of plays like off himself or like kind of plays against his physicality and stuff like that. And I think that is apparent in this film. And I think that was a really great showcase for him and that he's he's better when he's not playing the rigid like male type. That's the thing that like I've noticed a lot with his like leading man roles like Black Hat or um, I don't know, in the heart of the sea where he's just kind of like the straightforward like whatever Tom Cruise type leading man. That's not really what plays to his strengths. I think this role really did play to his strengths. And I'm disappointed that you didn't agree with that. See, I only agree with half of it, I guess. Um, and I, I just can't get on that same page with the other half of the performance where he does have to sort of be a little bit more straightforward because Darlene Sweet rattles him a bit. And I think that's where the character kind of fails. But uh, just my opinion, Ed, Maverick Hines, I mean, do you have a stance on this? Do you want to? Yeah, I, I'm definitely a little bit more in, in Will's camp on this one. I, I wasn't, you know, you said you were completely thrown off and, you know, kind of taken out of the movie with his performance. I, I wasn't there. You know, I wasn't 100% sold on it. But I think that was more because I didn't really care about that character. This whole cult thing, I don't know why. It never had an impact on me in this movie. I never really gave a crap by it. And by the time it gets to that point in the movie i was already kind of like what like what's happening like you know what i mean so i just i was never really invested in in that threat um so i think that's where i kind of got disconnected from him but i thought he did okay with the performance i just don't think the character was very great interesting so kind of a different take yeah um let, let's talk about uh then lewis pullman uh, i forget his name in the film he's the miles. Kinda, miles miles thank you i wonder if there's any symbolism to that but uh, yeah, he's kind of the junkie. Life is a highway. Oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> Miles from Civilization. Um, so, wow. so Miles has a bit of a kind of a twist later on. You find out part of the reason he's a junkie in the first place. Part of the reason you know he keeps his mouth shut. He apparently has had a very traumatic uh, experience in Korea. 
interesting. Um, what, what did you make of that, Will? I mean, kind of the way that all of that sort that sort of thing develops. Because I found it to be very deus ex machina, just to sort of be thrown out of nowhere so we can have a way to kill off the bad guys. Um, well, as far as the character is concerned, um, it surprised me because I was not expecting him to be in the movie as much as he was. Mm-hmm. Because I think I think there was some part of... Uh, like film twitter or something that was like saying like well, why didn't they just cast like tom holland to do this like he looks a lot like tom holland like it would have been like the same deal and i felt like if they cast a celebrity in that role then it would have been too glaring that like oh he's gonna be a main character later i thought it was really effective how uh drew goddard like cast like this actor who personally i don't really know i mean maybe he's been in a lot of stuff and i just haven't seen he's it he's a but... relative unknown lewis Woman. that's what i mean like so like especially like all these like major you know a or to b list celebrities uh, you know, I kind of figured like he, you know, would be axed out of the film earlier. And the fact that he is in it a fairly prominent amount was fairly surprising to me to the point where like like that one scene when uh, Chris Hemsworth is kind of playing uh, what do you call that game um, like where he was like shooting all the people like you kind of figured, like, oh, he's going to shoot Miles because he's not the celebrity. And then he shoots Dakota Fanning. That was one of the few surprises I found pretty genuinely surprising in the films because like, oh, OK, so he's actually going to stay in this for the long haul. Uh, as far as what you're talking about, though, with the Deus Ex Machina moment, I felt that was kind of a lazy thing to do from a screenwriting standpoint. Right. Like, I get why they approached it the way they did, but it definitely felt like a film school writing type of thing where it's just mm. like, oh, yeah, here's this like thing we didn't establish earlier in the film, but it's supposed to be a twist. But it just <laughs> felt kind of like it that's felt like just kind of like weak screen screenwriting and that's not to say that drew guard's a bad writer but that just felt like a poor screenwriting decision yeah it's weird i'm conflicted because there's something to it there's something to the relationship he has with the priest wanting to confess yeah. and then revealing that there's and something I, deeper behind it that stuff makes sense to me yeah. and i thought that you know him dying on the line you know like that like you know trying to find salvation yeah. and damnation that was pretty compelling from a cinematic standpoint and i was surprised that, like that's one of the few times they actually really play with the um the line the barrier because that was one of the things when I, the movie started off i was expecting them to do more with that and maybe they did and i just wasn't really paying too um, much attention they kind of play it up when she's at the jukebox uh because she sort leaves of, her yeah. shoes there she has like one foot in nevada one foot in california there, there are fun a few fun little visual tricks they do with but it. i expected more from yeah that, I especially like i think to your point i expected more personally as well playing it into the themes of the movie and it felt more like a gimmick in parts than anything else mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting that i believe none of them stay in california and I was kind of racking my brain to sort of figure out, like, it felt like it was a convenience of that hallway and less a, why are they all over here? Oh, because it costs more in California. And it just feels like there's something sort of missing from what, I wonder what Goddard is trying to say with well, that I distinction. Mean, and maybe I'm missing If we're something. going with the, the Manson thing, that's very California type of thing. So I guess, like, there's some, like, temptation and evil on that side. And then I guess these are all kind of morally gray characters for the sure. most part. I did appreciate, yeah, this is a movie about, uh, it does kind of ask some questions about what does it take, how desperate does someone have to be to commit a crime? Um, and you do see a lot of different characters who are dif- who answer that question in different ways. Uh, Miles sort of answers that question um, based around his military experience, you know, his guilt. Uh, we see Dakota Johnson, she's willing to commit a crime if it means saving her sister. Uh, her sister is willing to commit a crime if it means she's going to, you know, because she worships this man who basically tells her what to do. Um, and then Jeff Bridges, he's willing to commit a crime to save his friend, uh, the Nick Offerman character. Um, and in other ways, he's willing to do it because he just wants to get his life together. And then the way that he convinces Darlene to do the same sort of thing. 
I, I see a consistency there and I really appreciate the film on that level because it sticks to that question for everyone um, with sort of, I guess John Hamm is sort of the same thing because he's not supposed to interfere and he does anyway. Um, but I do think that that was one thing that I was a little bummed that they killed him off uh, as early as they did. Uh, but I, I guess it, it works to serve this film. And real quick, I want to say I looked up uh, Lewis Pullman. I, I said he's a relative unknown. He's been in a few more things though than I re- recalled. He was in the newer Strangers movie, uh, The Strangers Pray at Night or something like that. Uh, he was also in Battle oh, okay. of the Sexes last year. I forgot that he had a role in that. And uh, he was <laughs> in that Aftermath movie with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had a very small role in oh, Leon yeah? Pete. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. been in a lot of like indie films, basically. Um, he's well, he did a, look a lot like uh, the lead in Lean on Pete. Um, I I don't know if I ever finished that film, but he, he does look similar to the lead actor. I don't know if he played a role with some kind of variation on that. Well, he's the but, he's the son of Bill Pullman. Oh, really? Like in real life? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh. you know, definitely someone who kind of has gotten his, you know, his start through indie films and kind of proving himself as an actor. And I hope that maybe this will, uh, you know, launch him into some bigger films. It's definitely his biggest one yet i would say so mm-hmm. anyway all that said maverick <laughs> okay yeah uh no just to read back to what you guys talking about a uh, second ago with the um with miles's character yeah i i, I wasn't in love with that ending I, I don't know it just seems so weird that he went from like you know i don't want to kill any more people to yeah i'm like a superhero Here we all go of a you're like, gone you're gone <laughs> yeah and I, guess I, I did like that girl. scene though I mean, the scene was fun. Like, right. you know, you can't deny it. Cool. It's very, you know, had some very wonderful, you know, Tarantino death kind of feel to it. And I appreciated that and whatever. But I don't know. Just the fact that, like, in very short time, he was like, I don't want to kill anyone. No, I agree. I'm going to kill right. 30. But then it's interesting. The reason he, he dies is because he does show mercy at one point. Yeah. He chooses not to kill the girl. And, and there was something weird about that because why wouldn't he? Because at that point, he would have n- understood that she was unstable. Yeah. Also, There's don't they reveal that she like killed yeah. a bunch of people? <laughs> well, <laughs> like, she at least killed like, one person, right? It was two. Because they show the movie clip, through, or the news clip, that she like stabbed like two or three people uh, at that. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You were going to say what? Like, no, I was going to say, a lot of things with his uh, Miles character are kind of weird from like a writing standpoint. Like, mm-hmm. um, when he is uh, in the hallway there, and like just like he just is like standing in front of the window for like a long time just so he can get shot in the face. Like it didn't really feel like natural that he would just be standing there. Just like, Oh, he has to stand there and like not move just so he can get the bullet. Like he can get shot in the face and be like, have that half thing again where he's like half wounded and half, you know, clean or pure or whatever. But, uh, just for me, from like a writing standpoint, that felt like an odd character decision, but Oh, well, sloppy. Um, so, okay. It was definitely JFK on that film though, right? That's what well, I was going to ask because I, I, this is something I really wanted to post to you guys. I don't mean to cut you off, Will, but you know, being cine sober, I don't often pick up on maybe some of the more obvious subtlety or more obvious things about what the film was trying to tell me. I was like really, really trying hard to be like, okay, who is this? Who are they trying to tell me is on the tape? Like, and maybe it was just lack of historical knowledge, but like, I had no idea at the end, and I didn't like. Well, I think it was it was trying to say because we mentioned with like the briefcase and Pulp Fiction, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and so the film's not right. going to tell That's you what, yeah. because your imagination will is better than what the film will say. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, were there hints that were leading yeah. that I was just yeah. missing? Well, because they yeah, said that he was yeah. probably dead, so it, it was either JFK or it was Bob okay. Kennedy. It was probably a Kennedy. Well, uh, here's the thing. So, 
Um, when I was watching the film at first, I was thinking it was kind of Nixon, but then they said that he was dead. Mm. So yeah, I was like, oh, okay, what, so it's JFK. Nixon was the but only then, guess I had, but then, yeah, when they said he was because dead. Because they kept like, showing Nixon on TV. And exactly. When they, right. when they said that he was dead, I was like, okay, so it's probably JFK, but um, I was looking, I was pulling a Maverick and reading about the film afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and um, on Reddit, they were talking about this and they were saying that, um, so he, uh, Miles mentions that he met him like a year ago. And this is 1969, so that implies so it's probably that he, Bobby Kennedy. So it was probably he died in 1968. So that means it's probably either Martin like Luther said, King. Bob Ke- yeah, it was either Bob Ken- Bob Kennedy, or Martin Luther King. Which but, I doubt uh, was Martin Luther King, because did he go to California, Nevada, much? I don't know, but I was gonna say because um, in the late 60s he was spending most of his time in like the northern states. So it's suggested that. John Hamm is working with the government to try to find the tape. Right. So he can destroy it. So that would imply that it's probably a government official. Because I don't see why they would send someone like John Hamm to retrieve a tape of Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. But that's why, I, that's why I was also thinking it was JFK at first. But now I'm guessing, yeah, it's probably I, it's either JFK or Robert Kennedy, but... I wouldn't throw out Martin Luther King, but it's it's hard to know. I mean, I think it's intentionally left vague, like we're saying, because you're not really supposed to know, but it's kind of fun to speculate. And then they burn, of course, the film, which uh, I guess was supposed to be a absolution of your sins or some kind of a statement on this really didn't matter all along. Uh, was that an execution thing? Because I certainly got nothing from it. Uh, was it just sort of like the priest forgiving this dead person or something. I mean, and, and if, if so, I, again, it just feels like another sort of limp part of the film. Same with the Dakota Johnson character yeah. where it's just well, interesting enough, but where are you going with this? I mean, with all the fire, it's implied that things literally go to hell. Mm. And so the hell is known for sin. So they just let the sin, I Wait, guess, is die. that what hell's known for? I'm just kidding. That, yeah. <laughs> Wait, the word bad was in the title. So <laughs> yeah, uh, man, Pure Flix got to make good times with the El Royale. Royale <laughs> yeah, Royale yeah. El Royale's like not dead. It's just been rebuilt. Um, and I guess Royale... It's like purgatory, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. It is the sort of film that invites discussion. I just worry that there's not much to be had. You know, if yeah, you dig how far too can much that discussion like, go? <laughs> why is it called the El Royale? I guess just because. I mean, you, you really well, sort thought, of have to stretch a bit. I thought that was the nod to like the El Royale with cheese. It might tank. just be that. I, I was kind of being precocious, honestly, but I don't know. I, I guess it could be as simple as that, but why do you want to draw so much attention to the fact that your movie feels like cheap Tarantino, I guess? I, you know, maybe that's a little harsh, but you know, I, I stand by my criticism that it just doesn't have the cleverness of the dialogue that Tarantino usually offers. So it just seems weird to me that Goddard wouldn't try harder to set this movie apart, I guess. Uh, what what is special about this film that uh, no one's done before, and that that's where I really struggle to give it more praise. I struggle to give it a B over a B minus, honestly. And you know, maybe you know, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah, um, is that it? I think that's it. Um, I got nothing else to add. Uh, I, we didn't talk about Nick Offerman much, but I did like that scene. Uh, I did yeah, think it was, that it was a it was a good way to open the film, really set the tone. I, I wish the trailer didn't spoil that he got shot. Did it? I don't remember that. Yeah, because I remember, yeah. like, I remember exactly that shot because I kept waiting for him to get shot because I hmm. remember seeing that in the trailer. So I was like, I must have not have seen that trailer. It couldn't have been the first one because I saw the no, first. No, it was trailer it was the times. second trailer. 
This is why watching second trailers is a bad idea, because I got to be surprised by the shot. I didn't know it was coming, so I knew something bad was going to happen, but you know, I didn't know when it was going to happen or what it was going to look like, so it was good for me. I mean, maybe, I don't remember seeking out the second trailer, though, so maybe I saw it in a theater or something, so it's not like I tried, I remember only, like, intentionally trying to see the first trailer, but yeah, I just remember seeing that shot before seeing the film, and I was bummed that they spoiled that, as well as the whole Jeff Bridges not being a priest thing, I was yeah that is sort of given away i think because in the marketing they wanted to really sell i guess they, they had to show the violence of the priest and i guess at that point it's kind of obvious that he's not but yeah, you're probably right maybe it would have been more effective if they had been a little bit more coy been way cooler to go in and be like what I still love that scene though, where Darlene Sweet is running out of the El Royale in that trailer, and like the, the yeah, that's a great shot coming yeah. up. It's such a that's well, in the trailer, it's so effective, and here it's just as effective. Yeah, yeah, they should have just had that. That times the El Royale, she pulls the gun on Jeff Bridges, done. There that should have been the end of the trailer. We should do trailers. Um, yeah, I think she, I was thinking about. It. I think I actually saw the Red Band trailer during Happy Time Murders. Mm. So okay, so. We were too another distracted thing, by another <laughs> thing that uh, Happy Time Murders robbed from me is a crucial moment. In bad <laughs> yeah. times at the El Royale. Happy times at the El Royale, more likely. Oh yeah, yeah. Happy times, bad times. Yeah, I didn't think about that. A lot of times, a lot of times. Um, Twenty eighteen is the year of uh, lots of films with boy in the title. Uh, last year was the year of lots of films with wonder in the title, and uh, I guess the the second place goes to anything with weird times. I don't know. They are changing. Uh, well, I guess that all about do it. Did you have anything to add, Maverick Hines? Absolutely not. Okay, well, let's call it. Uh, this has been a last call of Cinemaholics. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you ever want to hear any more last calls, become a patron. Uh, check out our Patreon in the show notes, and we put out weekly content polls. If you ever have any requests, you can send them that way. And uh, we, we want to watch more movies. Just tell us what to watch. And uh, I'm glad, guys, we were able to do this and we were able to cover this yeah. film. I was really bummed we couldn't the other day. And it was good to sort of catch up and talk about this film for 50 minutes. <laughs> I think it was Yeah, we it. should do more things like this. This was fun. Uh, let's, let's say soft maybe. Um, sure. <laughs> just goofing. All right. Well, from the Internet, California slash Nevada, I guess. I'm John Agroni. From the Internet, Pennsylvania. I'm Will Ashton. From the Broadway Movies Minute Memorandum. See you next time. <laughs>